morning. How many of you are named after somebody? Yeah, okay, tell me who. Who are you named after? Grandma, Grandpa? Dad? Thank you, Graham. The babysitter? That's a good babysitter. <laughs> so you guys, you guys hit the jackpot with your babysitter, apparently. Anybody else? Milkman? <laughs> Controversial. But thanks for throwing it out there. Anybody else? A soap opera actress. Okay, all right. That's important. I mean, I'm sure that they, I'm sure that they played a, you know, a, a good character on that rich show. Uh, well, m my wife was uh, named after, she's not here, she was at the first service, and I always forget, Sir Edmund Hillary, famous mountain climber, right? So dad was like this crazy mountain climber guy, 6'5", just yoked, built his own house, just, I mean, crazy, crazy guy. Um, and her brother is 6'8", and like Spider-Man, climbs mountains too. And so I think he was hoping for another guy. And uh, he got a girl, so instead of Edmund, he went with Hillary. So we'll just, you know, keep, keep going with that whole line of thinking anyway. Uh, I was named after a character in the Old Testament named Caleb. Hebrew guy, and uh, he, he did some cool stuff. We are going to talk about his story. I'm going to tell you his story today, not because I'm named after him, uh, but because he, God used him to change the world in a way. And his story is a great story of faith to change the world versus fear and staying where you're at or going back to what you know. So we are going to look at, at that story. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 mostly today. And if you have your outline, pull it out. What I want you to see here is at the top of your outline, there is a list of names. We are not going to read that list of names just yet, but if you have a pen, go down a few lines and circle Caleb. See where that name is, Caleb. And then two lines below, under Igal, there's a Hoshua or Hoshia. And that, you can write in the, in, the, in the margin there, is Joshua. Moses later names that dude Joshua. We will get to these names later. Now, for the time being, look at verse 1. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, those are the key words, The Lord said to Moses, Send out some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. If you and I want to have world-changing faith, it begins with listening to God. It begins with listening to to God. God will speak to you in a number of ways. He will speak to you through a leader like Moses, through a leader, through, through someone who's teaching, inspiring, telling. He will speak to you through that. He will also speak to you through his word, like we're studying today, his word that has been passed down for generations and generations, his word that you can pick up and read tomorrow morning and invite him to speak to you. He can speak to you through nature. When you're on a walk and you see something, or you, you, he's telling you about how he's wired you just by how he's built you physically and maybe what he wants you to do or how your mind works. He's, he's speaking in these things. Uh, most importantly, I mean, he speaks to you through his spirit. It's his spirit. When, when we trust, put our trust in God, he puts his spirit in us. And it's his spirit that leads and guides and whispers and prompts and pushes it's his spirit that illuminates the words of this Bible and makes them make sense to us. It's his spirit that when I say something to you or when a friend 
or a family member or someone says something to you and it resonates. There's something inside of you that gets excited or there's something inside of you that gets convicted. It's his spirit that's doing that. It's his spirit within you. God speaks. He still speaks and he spoke to Moses. And if we are going to be people who have the faith to take action and believe that we can have an impact in this world, it begins with believing that God speaks and listening to him speak. Jordan, who was up here, he and Monica, who you may know, two people, two friends of mine that moved from Washington State to be here and serve as volunteers with us because they heard God's voice. Monica's story is that she was, she was up there working for a church and working for a financial company, and she, she was great at, is great at what she does. And I called her up when we came down here, and I said, Monica, I would love for you to consider coming down and working and, uh, and I can't pay you, uh, but you can sure serve here. You've got this heart for outreach. Some of you may know this story. She says, well, I've got, the, uh, I've got obligations. My whole family's here. Everybody's here. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it'll work, but I'll pray about it. A few days later, her boss calls her into the office and says, Monica, our, our fund, our hedge fund has merged with another company in Newport Beach. Would you consider moving down there and running the office? So she said yes, and she's here now, and you probably shook her hand outside. Jordan, similar deal, was living up in Washington. I called Jordan, and I said, Jordan, I'm doing this thing in Huntington Beach. You're still a single guy. There's a lot of single girls in Huntington Beach. Uh, <laughs> let this be the voice of the Lord. <laughs> and, and I just said, would you consider coming down? I can't pay you, but there's some great high school kids that need the love of God, and you are, I think, just the guy to do it. So he said, I'll pray about it. And he called me back about three or four days later and said, I think God wants me to come. So that dude showed up with a, nothing but a backpack on his back, uh, no furniture, no nothing, an iPad and a backpack. And, uh, and he's, he's leading some of your high school students and mentoring some of your high school students. And their, last, you know, their first event, they had like 45 kids from Huntington Beach and the surrounding areas come. And that's just going to be fun to see what God does. We listen to what God says, and then we respond. We take action. We have faith. It starts first with listening to his voice. The second thing that we do is we go and explore. So the passage goes on. It says, when Moses sent them out, verse 21, to explore Canaan, or this is verse 17, he said, go up through Negev and into the hill country. So once they heard from God, they went and explored the land. They went and tested, is this what God has for us? Is this God speaking? Is he going to give us this land? And they went and they checked it out. They studied it. They saw. They asked questions. Moses gave them a whole list of things to look for. Is the food good or bad? Are there trees? Is there fruit? Is this the land that God promised? Look for signs that tell you that this is what God has for you. So if you want to have faith, that you can play a role, large or small, in making an impact on the world for God's glory. It starts with listening to him and then exploring and seeing what it is that he's talking about. Once you hear from him, you want to act immediately because delayed obedience is disobedience. It's saying, well, I have, I have good intentions to go and do something. No, be courageous and respond. When Hillary and I were, in, were living in Washington for three years before we moved down here about a year ago, and when she heard from God, it was her, even though I'm from Southern California, it was her who heard God say, 
in this, not audibly, but in a whisper in a time when she was praying with some girls, that maybe it was time to move. And she told me that, and first of all, I was a little bit secretly excited, because it rains a lot up there, if you didn't know, and, and I was ready to be back here, and, and so we said, okay, well, let's see if that's God speaking. So I came down, and I explored. I checked it out. I met with people. We decided that if this was God speaking, that there would be some kind of a hook. There would be, there would be something that says it's time, and so it will be some, some kind of work or employment. So it wasn't Mariners. I had no idea that I was going to be at Mariners then. Wasn't on my radar. But God gave us a, a contract, a job, a gig that was enough to pay the bills for a short season, and so we moved. I came down, explored, saw, is God in this? And he gave us that little sign, and so we did it. We came, we moved. Imagine the people that were on the Mayflower so many years ago. Do you think that they understood the significance of what they were doing? Leaving what is now Great Britain, leaving their home, what they knew, and coming to this foreign place, just with this dream, just with this idea that maybe the restrictions of religion or how their lives are playing out and being dictated by certain authorities, maybe that's not what God has for them. And they got on a boat and they made their way with no idea what God would do, no idea that, we would, that they would be founding the most influential nation in the history of the world. You don't know what it is that God has in mind when you begin exploring. We don't know, friends. We don't know what God is doing in our midst. We've seen him grow this church. We've, he's given us a passion to reach this community. He's brought many new faces in, in recent weeks. And so we know he's up to something, but I promise you it's bigger than we're even realizing right now. He has in mind something for us together, but also something for you personally. I believe that he's inviting you into some, some new part of your journey and your story and he wants to know if you have the faith to embrace it, to go, to walk with him. So after you hear, you explore. And then what happens in our story here in verse 26 is that the Israelites, they do. They go and they explore. Moses sends the 12, the 12 spies, right? Have you heard the story of these 12 spies? Do you know that they have been... They have been freed, this group, this Israelite people, from Egypt in bondage for 400 years. Moses leads them out of there. He leads them through the Red Sea. And then here they are on the verge of this promised land that's been promised and, and rumored and talked about for generations. And here they are on the brink of it. And they, and they have this opportunity. And God says, I want you to go, go check it out. Moses sends his twelve the list that we saw at the beginning of our outline. And they came back in verse 26 to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land that you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey, right? Turns out it kind of looks like a promised land. It's amazing. It's really awesome. It's cool. There's, it's, it's bountiful and beautiful, and there's fruit, and, it's, and, and we were really impressed. Here is the fruit. You can even see how good it is. This fruit is bigger than your fruit. You know, I mean, this is not your average fruit. This is organic and, you know, and, and special of the promised land variety. <laughs> but the people who live there, here's the but, the big but, the turn right here, verse 28. But the people 
who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Pause for a second. This is just a little fun trivia. Anak, right here in this verse. This is where George Lucas got the name for Anakin Skywalker uh, for the Star Wars series, right? This, this, this is what sparked in his mind. The, the Anak, the descendants of Anak, these people are big, intimidating people. They are, they are tough people. They had a presence. And here they are in the promised land that God has given to his Israelites. And the spies go, and they notice, and they are intimidated. In verse 29, they go on. The, the Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the ites, they're, they're, they're in this place. And then the Canaanites live nearby as well. So what you have here is you have an affirmation that this is the place. This is a special place. We think God is in this. We believe this could be the promised land. But there's people in it. There's, there's opposition here. This isn't going to be easy. How come God would give us a promised land and then make it hard? How come God would give us this, this promise, this vision, this dream, this place that's supposed to be so great and then put people in it who, who want to kill us, who, who, who look down on us, what, that, that are big and scary? Friends, God will give you a dream. He will give you an idea. He will give you something in your mind, some kind of passion that he wants you to walk into, but he's not, he doesn't just hand it to you. There is this test of faith on this journey in this promised land where you have to take it. You have to take it. And there will be people, there will be obstacles. And so these guys are panicking, right? These, these spies are panicking. And then Caleb, one of the spies, he steps up and he quiets the crowd. It says in verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. They heard from God that this is the plan, this is the vision. They went and explored. And then the one with faith said, we should do this and we can do this. Now there's a big jump from should to can, right? Some of you have already been at the should in your head. Like, I know that I should do this thing. I know this would be a good idea. I know I should probably rally this change. I know I should probably tweak this thing in my life. This will give more glory to God in my life. I know I should support my family in this way. I know I should take this risk and lead this effort or plug in or jump in or commit to some change that I know that God wants to see. I know I should. But then the leap to... I can. It's possible. It's real. If God is in this, I can do this. He can use me. He wants to use me. If you ask me today if I can run a marathon, I would tell you yes. Really, if we were all lining up on the line tomorrow, I would not run that marathon. I, 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 would, I would die physically a torturous death if I tried to run 26.2 miles. It would not be pretty. But if you ask me if I could, I would tell you yes, because I will train. I will train over the next however many months until I can run that marathon. I'm not going to, but I could do it. <laughs> I could, right? And you can too. Just because you can't do something right now, just because this idea or this dream or this thing that's in your mind that you wonder if this is a prompting from God, just because it seems too big and you're not sure that you're up for it now doesn't mean that you can't. 
It means that he hasn't fully prepared you yet, but he will. If this is from him, you need to jump from I should do this to I can do this. We can do this. And that's what Caleb tried to rally the people to do. Think about in 1962, I believe it was, when President Kennedy said, we will go to the moon. We we will go to the moon. At the time, there was not the technology to go to the moon. No one had ever done it. The Soviets said that they were on the verge, right? And so we just made a declarative statement. It's possible, and we will do this thing. And then all the guys at NASA and wherever else figured out how to make it happen. And once they decided, they did it. We have guys in our church who are the type that make those spaceships. They design them. And I was talking to one of them this last week, and he said, yes, in fact, this is how it went down. Spa- we were talking space travel. It was, it was kind of a good time. Uh, you should seek him out later. Uh, but it wasn't until they made that determination that it is possible we can do this that they did it. Now, Once you hear from God and you explore the land and you observe what should be done and you decide that you commit that it can be done, then you need to expect opposition. And verse 31, you need to be willing to reject negative opinions because anything worth doing will be controversial. It will be opposed. Look at what it says here in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him, this is after Caleb had just tried to do his rally cry thing, They said, again, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and looked the same to them. Okay, get this. Everybody likes progress, right? You love the new iPhone 5 that just came out or whatever, right? We all like progress. But progress requires risk and it requires change. And those things have their enemies. We have to be willing to take a risk, to take this leap of faith, to embrace change if we're going to have progress. Anything worth doing, people will naturally resist change People will naturally have fear, and they have trouble seeing the potential. But hear this. Do not let the size of your dreams be limited by the voice of your critics. Do not let the size of your dreams be limited by the voice of your critics, but let the size of your dreams be consistent with the size of your God. Look at verse 33. It says, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The next thing is trust in God's view and not human sight. Because this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you see yourself as a grasshopper, you're going to act like a grasshopper, and people are going to treat you like a grasshopper. If you see yourself as small, you're going to act insecure, and people are going to treat you as an insecure person. If you are the type of person that sees yourself as small, that sees yourself as limited, that sees yourself only having the capacity to dream small dreams, you need to fill your mind with the truth of how God sees you. You need to fill your mind with the truth of what God has done throughout generations of people through ordinary, ordinary people like you and I. 
and believe what he says about you, that he has in mind to use you uniquely in this time and in this place. Break those tapes that play in your head about how you're small or you can't do this or you've missed your moment or you've missed the opportunity or you're not talented enough or you're not strong enough. Take those things out of the equation. Trust God's view and not human sight. I'm reading a biography right now of Steve Jobs, and he says something great in there. Uh, He was asked by somebody who was interviewing him why he didn't do the kind of market research that other technology companies did, have done. And he says this. He says, because customers don't know what they want until I show them. (laughs) Right? Arrogant? Perhaps. By most accounts, he was quite arrogant. And yet, brilliant at the same time because he understood something. He understood that people are te- they have a tendency to be limited by what they see, and they don't dream beyond that. And Steve Jobs invented new things that we didn't even know we wanted until we saw it, and we are like, I have to have that, and changed how many different industries. And how true is that for us? We have access to the spirit of the living God, the source of all creativity. Now, I'm not saying that you are going to invent the next best tablet device, but God will give you the creativity for what he has for you. If you are not limited by what you see, but you trust in the bigger picture, if you trust in God's view of things. So, We hear, we listen to God, we explore, we we decide what we should do, what we could do. We don't trust God's, we we trust God's view and not human sight. Then we follow the lead of the Lord. The next verse says, if the Lord is pleased with us, Caleb, again, trying desperately to rally these people after they keep saying, no, we can't do this, we can't do this. Caleb stands up again and he says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people living in the land because because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Caleb is trying one last time to convince these people to have faith beyond what they can see, that if God is in this, he will win the day. We don't have to fear the giants in the land. Believe, believe. And he has something for you, friends. He has something for you. There is an element of faith required in your life right now to take some next step, to believe something that he has, this promised land, this future, this next part of your journey. Don't be intimidated by the giants in the land. He will certainly do this if he is calling you to it. He has more for you. I will continually stand up here and remind you that there is more, that there is a God of the universe at work in you and all around us that is pulling us in this trajectory toward this future moment when he will bring all things, this whole story to a close. And we are in the midst of that story now, and there is a role for you to play. There is a role that we play collectively in this time and this place. But if you don't play your role, we all miss out. Only you can be you. He has wired you uniquely. We want to understand our unique 
callings that God has put on our life. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second, but I wanted you to hear from a friend of mine and ours uh, named Ryan Schulte. He's one of our elders here, and he has been wrestling with God's calling on his life. He has been uh, in this journey of figuring out what, what God has for you, Ryan, right? And what, how he has wired you and the journey that he has brought you on and how you can make an impact in big and then in really practical, small ways with what you have right here and now. Will you tell us a little bit about kind of what's happened lately? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, when I graduated college, I went into the financial planning industry in uh, 2006. Really great time to get into that industry. I remember <laughs> the things were going like this in all directions, all things. Um, so, um, and it was good. I'm glad I did it. It, it, it. You know, God has been faithful through that. And um, I've learned a lot, and it's been good. And, and I... I glorify God in doing that well. I mean, I find that's, that's part of how I serve God is doing that well. But one of the other things the last year, last six months or so that God has kind of laid on my heart is this issue of consumerism and how it's really impacting the church, America especially, but particularly the church. Um, you know, we've, this is probably the richest country in the history of the world, and we may also be the most indebted country in the history of the world, and it just doesn't, something's fundamentally wrong there. So I've been kind of wrestling with this issue of consumerism and, and kind of how to do better. Talk with Caleb a little bit about it and, and what we're going to do there. Um, and then I've seen God kind of working that out in my own life. I'm no stranger to like wanting to buy nice stuff. I like stuff. Stuff's nice. Let's be honest. <laughs> nice stuff is nice. Nice stuff is nice, right? <laughs> so, um, so when when Tracy and I got married, um, I had a truck. She had a car. When we got pregnant, my truck got sold. We bought a minivan. I inherited the car really excited about that. Um, so I've been wanting to buy a new car for, I don't know, since we got married six years, since we got pregnant, I guess. And uh, finally, you know, just things worked out. And so the last few months, I've been kind of like looking and, and researching that. And the, we had a Honda Civic that had 185,000 miles on it. We put that thing, got some good use out of it. Uh, well, when I talked to a dealership, they're like, yeah, we'll give you 500 bucks for it. I'm like, What? That's just mean, rude. I'm not doing that. It's insulting. Car runs. There's go-karts that cost more than that. Um, so we, uh, we, we played around with some numbers and found, figured out I could sell at private party for like 3500 if somebody was going to give us an offer. And, and it just didn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, and so as we were praying about it, um, I talked with some other friends of mine. There's a couple that's been mentoring me and pouring into my life for over a decade now since I've become a Christian, um, Doug Clarkson and his wife, Kyle. Um, they have just been an amazing couple, and they, live, they work for Campus Crusade, uh, and so they live on raised support, which I don't know if you've ever done that. It's really hard. It's not fun. I did it for a couple of years when I was in college, and it's, <laughs> I don't ever want to do that again because it is really tough. So, you know, it's, it's difficult financially in, in giving the Christian churches over the last five years. They've given less, and it's impacted them. So they were in need, and so we prayed about it and decided that we were going to give them a car, and, and we did. Now, one of the things that was interesting about this is that the car needed quite a bit of work because, you know, when you got a car with 160000 miles, you're kind of like, ah, really hoping to get a new one. I don't want to get that done. So it uh, needed about $1,000 worth of work, so I had emailed a bunch of people that know them and love them and uh, was able to raise the money to get the car fixed. So it was pretty cool. About 10 to 15 other people jumped in and gave what they could, and and got it all fixed, and were able to deliver this car that they needed, and um, was very cool. So, and of course, we did it in, in good fashion. I have a friend who's really strange. They came up with this really 
awesome way. Wait, to, you have a strange friend? All right, well, <laughs> I might be a little bit strange. Birds of a feather, all that. Um, so, you know, the, the, remember Back to the Future were like the, the flames that would be left behind the tires, right? So, so we backed the car up to the front door and laid sparklers out behind the tires and lit them and then got inside the car with costumes and masks on. And one of my friends had a boombox playing The Power of Love with, like, <laughs> this, like, silver jacket. We all had masks on. I crawled out of the trunk, which was not easy, but I did do it, with a sign that they couldn't read. And then I threw them the keys and ran. And they, they didn't know anything. That was it. And we just left. And didn't tell them who it was or anything. So um, it, was, it was pretty fun. They figured it out because they had to do the DMV paperwork. But... Uh, <laughs> You know how that, how that so works. Government agencies. Yeah, it turns out. So, um, but but as it re- as it relates to the consumerism thing, it was kind of a personal test for me because I I, I purchased less vehicle, you know, that I would have got for that thirty five hundred. Right. I, I mean, I, I went down. I could have just borrowed more. Right. I mean, let's be honest. This is America. We we know how to do that. I know how to do that. I mean, we do it well. If it's one thing we know how to do as Americans, it's borrow. Um, so you know, it, it was good. It felt like God was kind of. Challenge me a little bit. So, yeah. thanks, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, uh, Ryan didn't want to share that story, but I thought it was so great. He, he told me about it, and I was kind of a part of the process, and so I wanted him to share it. Uh, he gave them a car, you know, a car that worked, <laughs> not one that's on, you know, uh, cinder blocks in someone's yard. He gave them a functioning car, and. Um, and here's the interesting thing. God often does this. He will kind of stir in you a passion for something, right? You'll, you'll, you'll see something, some kind of injustice, and it makes you mad, or, or you see an opportunity, and it keeps coming around. It's like when you do want a new car, and all you see is that, like, that Jetta everywhere you go. There's, everyone has a Jetta, right? Because you're thinking about it. God starts to stir up in you some kind of passion, some kind of prompting that he wants you to take action. And then he challenges your own convictions, right? And then he says, like I did with Ryan. You have a passion, right, to help people understand in this world consumerism. You're managing all their money. How are you managing yours? And so he challenges them to give a car away. And in that and in doing so, the, you know, the Schultes changed the life of a couple. It's a small thing, right, but they changed that couple's world. It was a big thing to them. And it's going to continue to grow. And, and he involved like a dozen different people. And all of us who were involved now are thinking about, oh, how, how can I bless somebody else? That's what we do. That's who we are. We are people who are continually looking for ways to bless others, to make this world better, to, to let God's love and light shine out through us, to be Jesus in this culture. That is what we do. And I thank Ryan for, for sharing that. We each have a personal calling. In your notes, it says, personal calling, Romans 12. We have different gifts. Yours might not be financial like Ryan's. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, use it in proportion to his faith. Faith, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, teach. Encouraging, encourage. Contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Whatever your gift is, do it. Carry it out. Only you can be you. Only you can let God work through you like he wants to. What is that thing? How has God gifted you? And how do you need to take your next step in living that out? What is he drawing you into? What's that burning, com- that burning conviction, that passion that you have? And if you don't have one, will you get one? Will you let him stir that in you? If you've, if you've been 
having a case of the normals for the last week or months or years. Maybe it's time to just wake up, to get involved in something that can stir those passions, that you can be a part of something that is changing things. Because you can. We have a a personal calling and we have a collective calling, a common calling. When Jesus was on this earth, Right before he went back into heaven, he had disciples gathered. It was more than just his 12. It was probably a few hundred, a couple hundred people at least. And he gave them these instructions. This is the famous Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you summarize all Jesus' teaching, it would be that great commandment when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself, right? That's his command in essence. That is what we take with us. That is what we teach. That is who we are in this community. If you are a little bit unclear or unsure about maybe what the dream is for you or what the personal, unique calling is for you or what the future is for you, here's where you can start. This is, doesn't have to be an intimidating verse. It's not, you don't have to worry about weird religious language like, like evangelism or something like that. It's as simple as this. What, what therefore go, what that really means is as you go, as you go about the place, about the life that God has marked out for you, the place where you are, as you go about your business, as you go in the workplace, as you go in the school where you teach, as you go in your neighborhoods, point people toward this Jesus. Give people the hope and the light and the love that is in you that he has given to you. That's the starting place for all of us. That is our common calling. That as we go, we are pointing people to Jesus in all walks of life. And we go here in Huntington Beach and and Fountain Valley and Westminster and Seal Beach and Los Angeles and the East Coast and Africa and Haiti as we go. We carry that light, that love, that life of Christ with us. Some of you who, who don't feel very articulate when it comes to sharing or expressing your faith or your story of what God has done, you can take refuge in the words of St. Francis of Sissy when he says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Your life can be a poster for the love and the goodness of God. And it's who we are. It's who we will be. We will be a church, and we already are, and we will continue to be a church who is about changing things in this time and in this place, in this community and in this county. We will change the world together. We all have a role to play, and it will be different around us in our culture because we were here. If that just seems like hyperbole, I will tell you some things that will be different. We will see healthier families, stronger families, marriages, more marriages that last, fewer divorces because of your influence in people's lives, because of you coming alongside broken families, because of people seeing the example of your marriages. Even if it doesn't feel like that now, it's coming. You can be that. We will see an impact on teenagers a lower suicide rate in this county as a result of people like Jordan and people like many of you loving on teenagers in this community. We will see 
that impact. We will have a cleaner city because we will have people that care about the place that they live, that feels like God gave us this earth and we're going to take care of it. We will have people in public service in this city who feel more valued as a result of us loving them. We will have churches in this city who feel more connected, like we're on the same team because we are, because we're going to love them well, because we're going to partner, because we're going to speak well of others. We will have homeless in this community that have more options, people in need that have more opportunities to be helped, to get pulled up out of the place that they're in and take the next step on their journey toward living the life that God designed them to live. And most importantly, we will have more people in this community that meet Jesus Christ and that know his love and that he is the creator God who spoke this world into being and who breathed their life into their lungs. They will know this, God, because of you. Because you, as you go, are carrying that love, that life, that passion for him that he's put in you. Because you are making a difference. Because you are allowing this creative God to work through you wherever it is that he has you in this time and in this place. God wants to use you, and he will use us. Will you join us? I want you to look back at your outline, those list of names. Tell me, are any of you named Shamua? There's a whale down in San Diego that's a, kind of a, like a <laughs> relative of this guy. But other than that, do you have any kids in your kids' classrooms named Shaphat? And then there's Caleb. You circled that one? How about Igal? The next one's Joshua. You can circle that one. And then Palti, Gadil. Do you know? I mean, you got any nieces or nephews named Gadil? Gaddy, Emil, Sether. You know anyone named Nabi or Guel? You probably don't. Because nobody remembers the ones who had no faith. No one names their kids after the guys who didn't believe God would do what he said he was going to do. We name our kids for generations of hundreds of years after Caleb and Joshua who believed. And even though God led them still through the desert for 40 more years until that whole generation was wiped out, Caleb and Joshua lived, and they got to inherit the promised land. They went in. Caleb was 85. Some of you who feel like your time has passed, no, you're still just getting going. There's still plenty of time for you. If there's, if there's life still left in you, there is something that God has for you to do. No one remembers the people who sat back, who got stuck in normalcy and were afraid. We remember the people who have faith. Those are the people that God uses to change the world. And those are the kind of people that are in this community, that are in this room. And I invite you in this moment to let God continue to speak to you about what he has for you in this time, in this place, as a part of our community, as we go about changing the world together for his name, for his sake, as his love, this Jesus love, inspires us and leads us.